Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, we have a PSC before today's episode. That's a public service can announcement. So as listeners of our podcast, we want you all, the listeners, to, to get to know the world of cannabis better. So we're bringing everyone together on this new app called Relevant. And it's the place to just unite our community, uh, connect with you all, and, and live chat with each other. So it's a it's a cross between, I guess, a Reddit of sorts, a, a clubhouse, but it but it's better. It's much better than that. Relevant is a live audio chat where you can chat with communities called Vibes. So we'll be doing live talks there, questions and answers, open mics with you all and and you'll be able to provide your suggestions feedback we could just chat connect and really get this cannabis community together uh at the relevant app so come on over and join the world of cannabis vibe right now and say hello but uh that's relevant r-e-l-e-v-n-t uh it's available on the app store and google play so we'll see you there soon Hello everybody, welcome back into the world of cannabis. We have a really, really exciting episode on our hands today. We have not one, but two guests joining us today. So we have Gina Dubay, is is that the correct pronunciation of the last name? Dubay and Dr. Leslie Apgar joining the show. So this is actually the first time uh, myself and these lovely ladies have spoke face to face. So I'm going to be learning throughout this episode with all of the all of the listeners out here. So this is really we want to hear about Dr. Leslie Apgar's story and Gina Dubé's story and really just how they got into the world of cannabis and how they're really taking over the world of cannabis now. So without further ado, I would like to give a warm welcome into the world of cannabis to Gina Dubé and Dr. Leslie Apgar. Welcome into the world of cannabis. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, no, I'm re- really glad to have you guys and uh, really excited to have this conversation today. So I guess before we really get into the story of how you two met and, and got into business together and got into cannabis, I want to hear just uh, just to paint a little bit of a picture for the audience, uh, just a little bit of a background about yourselves, kind of what you who you guys are, who, who are we talking to? <laughs> All right. I'll go, Gina. Um, So I am a medically trained doctor. I'm a board-certified OBGYN. I did my training at Penn State and stayed for residency and then moved to Baltimore in 2000. And I've been here in Maryland ever since. Never thought that I would live on the East Coast, but here I am. I moved um, in to Gina's neighborhood. It was backdoor neighbors with Gina and met her. And because we have absolutely nothing in common, of course, we became best friends. <laughs> and uh, I have become ever increasingly dissatisfied with the practice of Western medicine, how it is all about um, just prescribing pills from big pharma, pills that make you sleep, pills that make you eat, pills that make you want to have sex, pills that um, give you an ever increasing number of side effects. And um, I was really disappointed with the practice of medicine and its limitations. So I was open-minded to holistic methods of healing. And I often encourage my patients to do things like yoga and meditation and acupuncture and, and, you know, all the different modalities. And so when the opportunity came to bid for a cannabis dispensary, uh, I was open-minded to it. And I'll let Gina give her background now. All righty. Awesome. Awesome. 
I am a doubly majored engineer. I have a professional engineer's license in all five disciplines. I am truly a geek. I had never smoked cannabis <laughs> before we bid on this particular opportunity. As a matter of fact, I was in retirement after selling a company that I owned. And Leslie had approached me with this business opportunity that was coming to Maryland to own a cannabis dispensary. And the gentleman with whom we spoke um, wasn't open about sharing return profiles or perhaps didn't think that we could really understand those return profiles. And so after the call, we were fairly disillusioned and knew that we weren't going to do anything with that particular individual and decided to bid it ourselves. So um, we did that and threw the proposal over the wall and a year later, was awarded a cannabis dispensary, much to both of our surprise. Okay, so, so how about that? So n- right now, I guess, kind of fast forward to now, you both are part of it. Was that the greenhouse wellness dispensary then you, you bid for and eventually grew up to, to what it is today then? Okay, so so greenhouse Correct. wellness, is, is yeah. that located, uh, is that Maryland-based then, where, where you both are? Yes. Okay. We okay. are. It's in Columbia, yes. Maryland. Okay, gotcha. So we is service, it... It's a medical marijuana. Okay, so what actually... Yeah, what are the laws in, in Maryland uh, regarding cannabis? Just just give me a brief reminder. Is it is it just medical right now or... or... Yeah, as it stands today, it's just a medical program, but we're expecting it to be recreational in the coming... Um, election cycle. It is um, a pretty robust medical program, I have to say. It's been cumbersome to get it up and rolling, but I do really admire the rigorous testing that they have enforced so that Marylanders are getting safe, reproducible medication. I do appreciate that. In so many states, especially on the West Coast, patients had no idea what they were getting because it wasn't tested and you didn't have to report on the minor cannabinoids or even the major cannabinoids and you know, heavy metals, toxins, things like that really matter, um, things that we're bringing into our body. So I do, as a scientist, um, uh, I'm pleased with that aspect of the program. Certainly dealing with a federally illegal substance, and Gina can talk about this from the business standpoint, has been a nightmare and it's been incredibly onerous. But uh, I do think that the state of Maryland has done an admirable job. Yeah, because there's that kind of crossover in a lot of aspects, not only with, like, a medicine. If if you're, if say, I'm a patient, okay, and I'm getting prescribed something from a doctor, say, say a Vicodin for my pain, and then I also want to use cannabis for, for my pain as well, you really can't go to that same doctor. That That's the issue right now. So you almost have to, the patient has to make the decision, say, okay, I, I want holistic medicine, I have to look elsewhere. And it's kind of, there's that, I feel weird, weird crossover where, like, you can still be getting prescribed Vicodin by your doctor. They may be for or against cannabis. They really can't be for it because they can't prescribe it necessarily. And they can kind of guide you in the right directions. But I, I feel like the doctors sometimes, generally speaking, are kind of tied with their hands behind their back because it is federally illegal. They might have a yeah. wealth of knowledge about it, but they really can't technically or, or definitively say, okay, I'm going to prescribe you this uh, dosage of well, THC or et cetera, et cetera. 
Cameron, I love your optimism that the doctors would have a wealth of knowledge about cannabis, but unfortunately, I don't think that that's necessarily the case because doctors are not taught anything about the endocannabinoid system or about cannabis in medical school. It's only something like eight or 10, maybe 10% at this point. That's probably a reach of medical school curriculums even include the endocannabinoid system, which is just a travesty because how can you know how to prescribe cannabis if you don't even understand the system that exists within all vertebrates on the planet? So it's a real um, focus of our goal. Gina and I really want to increase education around cannabis. And unfortunately, what happens is that the patients have to go back to their doctors and educate them. So we put on seminars and educational events all the time. We publish whatever we can to help educate the community, the patients, and the providers. And so we're doing as much as we can to increase education. But until doctors are taught this system in medical school, until they understand that it's a normal part of our bodies, we're not really going to be able to change the needle as far as doctors being on board with cannabis. So it really has to start there. Um, There is that disconnect, as you mentioned, Cameron, that we can't, as physicians, prescribe a federally illegal substance. <laughs> um, what 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 the doctors can do is recommend it. They can say, hey, you seem to meet the criteria. Certainly traditional medicine has failed you. Let's perhaps embrace another technology. And I think what's happening, at least here in Maryland, is we have enough time now that patients have gotten off of their opioids or gotten off of their sleep agents, gotten off of their benzos, have returned to the workforce, have seen and shown significant improvement to their physicians who are now taking note and saying, wow, maybe this cannabis thing is not all about just getting people high. Maybe it does have medical, real medical merit, and maybe I need to be more open-minded to it. So it's changing. It's just a slow change. Yeah, I guess I I never really thought it's not going to be that snap-the-finger type thing. Like, overnight, okay, all doctors are going to be educated on cannabis because it it is, I feel, going to be a generational thing. Not to anybody's blame, I guess, but doctors who have been practicing for 20, 30 years, you aren't going to completely revert back to or kind of discount everything you've learned in the past about just medicine and and prescribing medications and helping patients overnight by just some it because i mean as a doctor you probably i'm not a doctor obviously but you want to be as conservative as possible obviously your patient's health is really your primary focus there so unless you're definitively sure and and taught in school and taught throughout your profession that okay cannabis can be used as a medicine it's it's really not worth the the risk for a lot of these doctors but i feel like the reward can completely outweigh this risk of just you you mentioned whether it's uh sleeping medications pain medications uh eating all all of the side effects that come with these there's side effects with every prescription medication and yeah there's a little bit of say side effects with with cannabis but i i think uh Getting getting the munchies or, or maybe falling asleep a little earlier than expected after uh, smoking cannabis for pain is a lot uh, better of a side effect than uh, becoming addictive to, say, an opioid. And we see that with the opioid crisis and, and things like that. And I think there really is a, connect of, a connection between all of the opioids, all the pain medication being prescribed, and then this opioid crisis we we have on our hands now it's just like yeah maybe 
maybe uh, the source of all this is perhaps the doctors, and not the doc, not that the doctors are at fault for the opioid crisis, but they, some doctors definitely play a, a a role in it. I mean, the more opioids that are out there, more people get physically addicted to these substances, whether they they might need them for a back surgery or a neck surgery or whatever pain they're in, they might legitimately need them, but our bodies are a used or lose it type thing. If you start taking these Vicodin or taking these opioids, taking these morph, whatever, every single day of your life, that's going to be your norm. And it's tough for a lot of people to, to get off of that. And then once the prescription runs up, what do you what do you kind of do? You're physically addicted, you're withdrawing, and it's just it's just a world of world of issues for the patients whenever they're really trying to just just be healthy. Everyone wants to feel well and be healthy, and unfortunately, that's not really the outcome. Months, years after these uh, just different surgeries people have or, or different ailments people have, and I think cannabis can be a direct solution to. A lot of it. I'm not saying opioids should be off the market or anything like that, but if doctors, I think, were more educated and, and took this more, more holistic approach, approach like you do, Doctor Leslie Apgar, I, I think the world would be a, a lot better of a place. And I guess it is going to be a generational type thing. And this is very comforting to hear that you are uh, doing seminars just to really educate. And it's not going to be overnight, but I guess if you can kind of get at the source and, and the newer doctors entering the field, if, if they can have more education, it's obviously going to be a snowball effect down the line, but it's definitely not going to be an overnight type thing as, as some might presume here. And then I also, so you both have a cannabis line as well. Do you, do you want to speak a little bit about that? Is that called Blissiva? Is that correct? Tina, you want to talk it about Placebo? Yeah. I know I'm on a delay. I'm on a delay from the Eastern Shore, but it is. It's a product designed for women. Dr. Apgar, with her background in gynecology, knows what women needed and, and wanted. And our first product out is the Balance Pen, which is a CBD THC blend. And it's based primarily for anxiety because it's the number one complaint that we see from all of our patients is anxiety and sleeplessness. Our second product is called Soothe, it's for pain. It's a higher THC percentage. Our third line is going to be called Smolder, which is for sex. And our final line is called Heal, and it will be for weight loss and different pain-related complexes. Okay, okay, what's, what's, uh comprises the weight loss product i guess or what makes it more catered to a, a weight loss type of type of situation so cameron it turns out that the sexes male female respond very differently to cannabis okay. and um, the munchies as you mentioned earlier is more common in men than it is in women and certainly thc in small doses can stimulate the appetite but thc in large doses is a poison that causes nausea and vomiting and pain and all the things so what we did with Placeva is we mindfully put together the major cannabinoids in the correct ratios and the correct potencies because, unfortunately, what you see on the market, it's really just a recreational market that's masquerading as a medical one, and there's just a gross um, overuse of THC and potencies that just don't make sense from a pharmacodynamic standpoint. So that when you actually start looking at the biology 
and the way the body processes these things and how our receptors work, we are really just screwing up entirely with the way that we're making our cannabis products. So <laughs> the placebo pen, the first one we did, the balance pen, it's only at 30%. Uh, potency, which is plenty, and it's a one-to-one -one ratio of CBD to THC. So those of you in the listening world out there, please always include CBD with your products. If you're just using THC, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're doing it all wrong. Um, the plant works really well when it has CBD in it. That's the way that the plant was originally grown, and we have bastardized it by growing ever increasingly higher amounts of THC. The mother molecule CBG is, is what divides into either THC or CBD. And so the plant can't have a ton of THC and a ton of CBD at the same time. So what we always encourage our patients to do is to find CBD flour if you're going to vape it or smoke it, and then add THC flour to it so that you're getting that nice robust effect but that way you're going to have like all the anti-inflammatory effects and that way you're going to um, have way fewer side effects of the uh, overabundance of THC that is it's always present in, in these different compounds so as as far as weight loss when your body is in balance when your inflammation is treated your gut works better and you take in the calories that you need and you let the other calories go so there's something to be said for being in homeostasis or to be in balance. And that is in large part due to a CBD component in the plant. Then I'm sure our listeners know about THCV, as in Victor, which is um, instead of um, a five-carbon side chain, it's a three-carbon side chain, which we can get into all the crazy um, <laughs> uh, biology of this. But in any case, it actually suppresses appetite so that our patients are smart now and they know to look for products that have THCV in them because they know that the, um, that the ingestion of that substance is not going to cause them to be hungry or get the munchies. But when you look at populations of users of cannabis and non-users of cannabis, the cannabis users are more likely to have a lean body mass than non-cannabis users. So if you are taking cannabis in your body regularly in the correct ratios and in moderation, which is so important in all things medicine, you're more likely to be lean than if you're not doing it that way. So there's a lot of complexity to this, and obviously we have a lot to learn in this, this field. Um, so we're excited about it. Um, there's new studies that are being published all the time that we're anxiously reading and trying to apply to our own knowledge base. But Gina and I are really excited and hopeful for cannabis to be descheduled and for it to lose its schedule one status, because at that point then we can really do the big trials in the United States and get good data that doctors will feel more comfortable um, basing their decisions around. Um, randomized controlled trials are, are the gold medicine, but they're not the only way to do a study and they're not the only way to draw conclusions. But I think until we lose that schedule one designation, the, the doctors are going to still be a little hesitant to, to play in the cannabis space. Because the studies are definitely limited, right? Whenever uh, 
cannabis is scheduled as a, a class one schedule drug, right? The you, you can't study it as much, correct? In in, in a scientific sense of, of trials on a, on a larger scale, is that correct? Is that getting kind of prohibited by this classification of marijuana right now in the United States? Yeah, there's only a couple of institutions that actually are allowed by the FDA to study cannabis and the quality, I'll say that in air quotes, the quality of the cannabis is not necessarily what you would want if you're trying to discriminate between different major and minor cannabinoids and terpene ratios. It's not like I can just place an order and say, hey, grow me this exact thing so that I can do a trial on it. It's just a little cumbersome. So we're looking at data that's coming in from Canada and Israel and even Canada, who's got now their entire nation is a recreational one. Some of their studies are not as fabulous as we would have anticipated. It's a really big undertaking to collect data that is meaningful and to understand the difference between cause and association. Like what doctors need to understand is that, that this variable caused a certain effect and not that they're associated. And so it, it just, you know, we're very critical of studies physicians are, and we really want to make sure that we're drawing meaningful conclusions. So yes, um, it is hard to find good studies. They are, they are starting to become more available. And um, if you do a literature search, you'll be amazed at how many studies there are worldwide. But then you have to look at the quality of the individual studies and see how they were done and, and whether or not you think you can make meaningful conclusions from them. But we're getting there. We're getting there. It's just it's depressing that it's 30 years later and we haven't moved the needle as quickly as we probably should. It's depressing that cannabis was made a Schedule One drug in 1970 after there was all the data to support it not being a Schedule One drug. It's um, embarrassing that alcohol and tobacco are free to use <laughs> without restriction and yet cannabis is so tightly regulated and there's a lot of reasons for that but it just I just wish that we would move away from it and just be done with this and and uh, reclaim our historical roots of knowing that cannabis has a place in, in human uh, medicine and just move the needle forward intelligently. Right, because what, a class one drug is defined as being highly addictive and, and no medicinal value. And obviously, I mean, it's it's pretty pretty clear cut now that cannabis, it, it has medicinal value for a wide range of different ailments, whether the most minor of anxiety to the most severe of pain, it really can be used as medicine. And, and that's what you both are seeing it at a medical dispensary. So do you, does, is the Blasiva line at the greenhouse wellness uh, dispensaries then, I'd, I'd assume? You can find it at greenhouse. It's rolling out at dispensaries across the country. Awesome. And that's part of the challenge, right? We can only produce it here in Maryland, and then we have to go and source cannabis and a processor in every state. So it takes a long time because you can't roll it out nationwide because of the regulations. We're hoping with the, the Schedule 1 changing um, that that will change also. But it's time. The tincture of time is what we're waiting on. 
Right, because it is, you must have to operate. It's it's weird. Every state is almost its individual entity. It almost has to be looked at its own, at its own country because you can't ship across lines. So it's like, what we do in Maryland, we almost have to completely copy and paste it and do another state, whatever you, wherever you want to go. And that obviously, that, that stagnates growth a, a little bit or at least creates some obstacles, whether... Of of time, energy, money, the whole nine yards. There, you you can't set up a bunch of different locations all at once. It does have to be an organically grown thing, which is, I guess, positive in a sense and an optimistic sense of okay, only the best companies are really gonna the ones that are in it for the right reasons and not just in it for a quick cash grab are gonna be the ones that that really uh. uh fight adversity and, and are going to be here 10, 5, 10, 20 years down the line. But in another sense, it, it really hurts the consumers and the patients of you might not be getting the best products in whatever state you're in. If I live in, say, New York and the Placeva is really the product I, I need and I'm looking for and it's not in the New York dispensaries yet, you're kind of hemmed into what you what you have in your specific state. So it does, there's a, some positive with that, but I think there is a, a lot of negative as well. Well, what you also see, the big managed service organizations, the big national cannabis companies, are really going to push out all the individual operators like Les and myself and the diversity operators because the big companies are buying up everything because they can have the economy of scale that we'll never be able to achieve. And so we really have to look at the cannabis green rush and be careful that we're not cutting out the members of society it's meant to include. No, exactly, because it's almost turning into the the big business, that, the quote-unquote big business that everyone really, kind of the, the freedom fighters or whatever you want to call it, are, are really set out, not against, but really going to carve their own path it, it, it like folks like you it, it definitely probably creates a hindrance what are i guess some positives of these large-scale companies uh really obviously there's some good with the complete massive mon monopolization if you will of these companies but I, I think there's a lot of drawbacks as well too and i think you touched on that with the drawbacks but i guess what what could be some positives of commercial cannabis let's say 10 years from now completely declassified, uh, what I guess would be positives of a large-scale uh, growth uh, or grow company or company, a cannabis company, and what I guess were some negatives of that? Well, I think the positives include the fact that there'll be enough money to fight pharmaceuticals, to fight the, some of the companies that have protested, really, cannabis utility across the nation. So there'll be lobbyists because cannabis will have enough money in it to fight the stigmatization. I think that also the prices as a whole will come down because with more people, there'll be more competition, which will drive prices naturally down. Right, right. Well, what you're going to have, I believe, is kind of a generic, um, a generic layer of cannabis because it's going to be built to one common denominator as opposed to now where individuality is key in cannabis. I can have this blend or that blend. When you get the bigger operators, you're going to get, you know, the generic brands on the shelf and it's going to kind of be the same. So we hope that we don't lose the craft aspect 
of the industry when that happens. Because cannabis really is unlike any other medications. With some, say, whatever medication, here, take five milligrams of this pill. This is kind of the one-size-fits-all. With, with cannabis, it's it's very, very different. And you touched on a little bit of that with your Blasiva products of just specific ratios of these different terp- terpenes, cannabinoids, things of that sort that really is catered to the individual. I guess what emphasis, if any, do... Uh, do both of you put on uh, your your bud tenders to really help the patients a, as best as, as they can? Because some bud tenders, obviously, it, but the bud tenders with the patient is that's the that's the face of greenhouse wellness, essentially. So we actually call them wellness consultants. So we try and elevate the whole industry from like start to finish, and we are. Um, our model is very different. So we have a medical director who's basically been there from the inception and we had a rigorous training manual that we created and we, um, the poor bud tenders, I will call them that for you, um, have been sort of forced into a residency program where now they're referred to as wellness consultants. And now they understand a little bit about the way that cannabis works in a way that they didn't before. They just knew how certain products made them feel. And now they have had a robust education. And well, what's the backstory here? Why, why do we tell people to go so slowly and to start so low? And why is CBD so important? Uh, So they also have been subjected to a patient population that perhaps they weren't expecting because our patient population is older and sicker than um, maybe you would typically expect. And I think that the older population, I think our average is maybe 62, um, the older population has battled big pharma and traditional medicine and has failed. And so now they're starting to become open-minded and disregard the stigma that still exists. And they're maybe, maybe desperate to try something new. So we've seen a lot of what we affectionately refer to as virgins who have never touched cannabis and are coming in and interacting with our wellness consultants and really having to start from square one. So I know that that happens in a recreational setting too, but I think that the recommendations that are often given by those bud tenders in those states is sometimes really, really devastatingly wrong. And maybe a bud tender's tolerance that they can take 20 or 30 or 40 milligrams of THC orally and and really don't have a problem with it is really dangerous when you're talking to a 90-year-old who's never tried cannabis. And so just the education on what is the correct dose to start a novel user on, um, that's something that our wellness consultants have in spades, and I'm just so proud of them. I really, it's, it does still happen where they get a patient that's just like, listen, this patient's too hard for me last. Can you do it? Can you, can you reach out and counsel this patient yourself? And that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm supposed to do, but that's rare. So I'm just, I'm so proud of the team that we have at Greenhouse. We are really the thought leaders and the, the physicians in the area and even our governing commission will reach out to us um, for help and guidance and, sometimes reassurance that they're on the the right path. And it's, it's just really, I think it's the thing I'm the most proud of. It's Gina has 
built an amazing company that is well run and you know we are able to pay our taxes and pay our bills and we can buy things in bulk to save money for our patients because obviously this isn't covered by insurance and our patients have to pay out of pocket so we are paying attention to those things so she leads with kindness everything she does is coming from a place of kindness and it's that kindness culture that I think the patients really feel and I know that our wellness consultants feel it as well that's that's really comforting to hear because a lot of these yeah there's preconceptions are are really a downfall in a, a lot of things. If you come into a dispensary, you're like, oh, no, I, I I think I know what I want, or if I'm the wellness consultant, and, okay, this works for me, it might not work for this next patient or the patient that's in line after that and so on and so forth. So I think every patient has to be looked at with a, with a completely clear uh, mindset and really the the patient's wellness is the is the main concern and, and that's how it always should be but I, I feel like if at other dispensaries I've just know dispensaries I've gone to I've had some really great experiences with uh, Bud Tender's wellness consultants with whatever the name may be of guiding me in the right direction what I'm looking for and then some other times it's not as a great of a connection it's kind of like okay wh- what do you want type of thing and I feel like the the former of that is definitely the the most uh, effective way to to treat an individual <clears throat> so i guess changing directions a, a little bit here there's obstacles barriers in any business endeavor any entrepreneur knows that but what are i guess some specific barriers for anybody but especially women in in the cannabis industry Well, there's always something going on. And, you know, when we looked at the awards here in Maryland of the 100 awarded dispensaries, I think there were three or five that were female-owned. And so certainly that is not representative of the amount of females in the United States. Not at all. to ask themselves, did just less females bid? And I think that's part of the issue. But it's a very risky endeavor. You have to combine business acumen with medical acumen and cash. Because, you know, you can't come into this and not have cash to do it. We really need to have a more equal state for diversities, minorities, and women. And I don't think it's going to go that way with the advent of the managed um, service organizations or the big companies. They're going to dominate, and it's going to stay very white male-oriented. We don't see that changing unless the states put in programs so that the dispensaries processors and growers are awarded equally among the different entities. It's been difficult. I mean, when we first started, I would say, hey, how come that dispensary down the way is getting it for a better price than we are? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know, we didn't know you wanted it. Well, I wanted it. Well, we're out. So it's just kind of, you know, the chicken and the egg. Now we really don't complain. We get everything we need. We've proven ourselves for one of the top dispensaries in Maryland. We pay our bills. We were named um, top dispensary in the United States by Cannabis Dispensary Magazine last year. So we hold our own here. But I can't say that for every small dispensary, and it's unfortunate and unfortunate for the patients and the industry. Yeah, no, that's, that's tough. It's... I don't know, it's just a lot of barriers. It seems like you're definitely at a 
a little bit of a dis or not maybe more than a little bit of a disadvantage if you aren't a, a white male because if you look statistically most of the dispensaries are the the white male there's not a lot of uh diversity with with women with uh people of different colors different backgrounds and i think that's necessary because not all patients are are white males and i i think not a lot of the time, but some of the time these say quote unquote white males, not to stereotype white males, but might be in it for some of the wrong reasons I mentioned of opening a dispensary, just in it for the strictly business side of things, which yeah, I understand the dispensary is a, it is a business. You are trying to profit and, and obviously pay your bills and, and pay your rent, so on and so forth. But it goes much, much more than that. Whenever you're kind of, uh, Whenever medic medicine is involved, too, this is more than just uh, filling your pockets with as much money as possible. It's about helping patients and, and helping people's lifestyles in, in general. Whenever they leave that dispensary, they sh everybody should be comfortable of what medicine they're taking and that they're confident that they're going to be better off for it, put it that way. Yeah, I love that message. So true. So I guess really going in the in the woman direction here. So how can cannabis? Because I'm a little bit unfamiliar, to be honest with you. With uh, I know cannabis can help with PMS, breast cancer, menopause, but I don't really know how the the uh, actual science of the cannabis plant helps with the science and biology of women. How can cannabis really help these vast array of different uh, women's ailments specifically? Do you want to take that one? Oh goodness, we might have lost her. Might have got a fr frozen a little bit here. Always, always technical difficulties here, but we'll we'll roll with it a little bit. Do you do you see then a lot of a uh, woman coming in for specific womanly ailments then? Okay, sorry. My, oh, it looks my like we're back. We <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm frozen. Oh, all good. You can address the thorny medical question. So um, <laughs> when we talk about cancers, really what we're talking about is the fact that cannabis can be used to help with the symptoms that surround um, people's traditional treatment of cancer. And yes, we know that, that cannabinoids have um, anti-tumor properties in three different ways, but that's not really the focus when we talk about female cancers and cannabis. But the female body is wired for cannabis uniquely. And historically, all through ancient history, that was well known. And there were lots of cannabis preparations that were created, especially for female conditions. So the uterus, for example, has the highest concentration of CB1 receptors and of anadamide, which is our endogenous, the first endogenous um, cannabinoid discovered than anywhere else except for in the brain. So that's, um, it's really important in all aspects of reproduction. It's um, really important in the dysfunction that happens with painful periods and fibroids and painful sex and, and all of that. And even the, the libido or the low libido that happens, especially as women go through menopause and beyond menopause. So when we talk about balancing out the cannabinoids and um, really kind of creating that homeostasis, that's when women's bodies especially start to function a little bit better. 
So yeah, it is a sacred part of the history of medicine that has been lost that we're rediscovering. But yeah, if you look through the historical texts, you'll see quite a bit of evidence that points to cannabis being very helpful in women specifically. And it does affect women and men very, very differently. Women don't need as much THC to feel the effects, but women will escalate faster than men um, you know, to something called a cannabis use disorder. So we have to be careful. I mean, I think the most important message I can give everybody is that less is more. And that if you are using cannabis and not feeling an effect from it, that's good. You're not supposed to feel an effect from it. Now, certainly people can choose to use cannabis to relax or to unwind at the end of the day, like you might use a glass of wine for, and that's different. But as medicine, the vast majority of our patients don't want to feel impaired or high at all. And so if you're doing it right, you won't feel the effects of the THC, but your body will actually just start working better. So that's the vast majority of our female patients. They just want to feel better, not be impaired, unless they want to, unless it's a Friday night and they want to kick back after a long uh, work week. So it's just, you know, part of what we're doing is just trying to educate around the misconceptions of what cannabis is and what cannabis isn't. Um, So some of us can go and lead by example and and infect your friends and, um, you know, and spread the word that it's not all about the THC, guys. No, yeah, I I completely agree with that. And I think the the quote-unquote CBD craze, I think that is going to help the overall industry in general because I guess the CBD kind of, it seemed like it came out of nowhere whenever you saw it at the gas station, saw CBD this, CBD that, CBD everything, which I I think some of the quality with that probably is not as, as good as you'd like, but I think it helped to open a lot of folks' eyes of, oh, there's more than just this THC, the psychoactive effect of a cannabis plant and now hopefully we can find that marriage between okay the cbd isolated and the thc isolated let's bring them together and, and really can combine them into one holistic medicinal product agree and well, I, I really think it's people like yourself who are bringing um, knowledge and information to people that are really going to help us in the long term no, that, that's humbling, and I, I think we definitely are all in this together because there is a there is a ripple effect in, in the world with with good and with bad, and I think with education, with knowledge, knowledge can't really in, in facts they can't it, it can't be denied. It, it goes past an opinion at a certain point. Like, oh, I think this is good. Well, this definitively is good. Such and such and such studies and such and such and such anecdotal evidence. It, you get all this anecdotal evidence together. You get all these studies together. If it looks like a duck, smells like a duck, or sounds like a duck, whatever, it, it's it's a duck. And I think that's where we're finding out with cannabis. It's not just correlation doesn't always mean causation, but we're finding more and more that there are some clear-cut evidence of cannabis' medicinal effect with a range of different ailments, whether it's the anxiety, the the uh, the pain, the womanly issues such as PMS, breast cancer symptoms, and so on and so forth. And that's really, I think, the beautiful thing about this plant is it's it can not everybody can use it, but a vast majority of people can 
find a use case for cannabis for something in their lives. And it's not always having the psychoactive effect. It might be for some folks, but a majority of folks, I, I think, as you touched on, just want to feel well. You just want to feel your, yourself again. Right. Well, we, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy life to have us on. And, and I echo Gina's sentiments that it is people just like you that are helping to decrease the stigma and increase the education. And, and we just really appreciate your time today. Yeah, no, no. Thank you all for, for joining the show. This was a, a, a fantastic conversation. I think there's a lot of value in it for, I know I learned a lot and I, I think our, our listeners out here really are, are going to take away something as well. And I guess as a final, uh, before we touch on your, your book a little bit, uh, where last, last, I guess, talking point, where do you both see cannabis in five years in general? And where perhaps do you see yourselves in five years? Well, from a cannabis well, perspective, I think hopefully cannabis... we will see it come to Go ahead. So, yes, I agree with Gita that, um, I think that the schedule one will be gone. I think cannabis will be a lot more normalized. And I really hope that those that are brave enough really take on the um, FDA and really um, go after legitimizing this and making it part of everybody's wellness routine. I would prefer that we can approach medicine from a wholeness and a wellness perspective instead of chasing after disease. So let's try and create wellness instead of chasing after disease processes once they've set in. And as far as I am concerned, I think that we, Jean and I, will probably both be doing a lot of education and empowering other women to jump at um, opportunities and to really let their voices be heard. Amen to that. Amen to that. And I guess before we leave, I do want to give a very uh, large shout out to your book. It's it's called High Heels, How Two Women Found Their Footing in the Medical Cannabis Industry. I'm sure it encompasses your complete story, how you guys got together and, and how you pretty much traversed to where you are at this point today. Where can all the listeners find this book at? You can find the book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It's also available for download on Audible. So it's wherever you can usually buy your books. We have it hard copy, soft copy, and um, on Kindle. Awesome, awesome. So I'm not affiliated with this book, but I would recommend getting it. And once again, that is High Heels, How Two Women Found Their Footing in the Medical Cannabis Industry. And that really, that's going to wrap up our uh, wonderful discussion here today with Gina Dubay and Dr. Leslie Apgar. I would like to obviously thank them from the bottom of my heart for joining the conversation today. I want to thank all of the listeners out there for uh, tuning in once again. The listeners out there, you really uh, make this world of cannabis continue to revolve day in and day out. And uh, none of us would be here with, without each other. So we are in this together if you will, and I think uh, every positive contribution we all can make to the cannabis uh, industry, just cannabis world in general, I think we're all going to be better off for it. So if this did provide value, this episode, 
like, subscribe, comment, share, get this get this message out to the world. I, I think there's a lot of pertinent informa information, not only for women in the cannabis industry, but really for anybody involved in the world of cannabis. I think there's a lot of good takeaway points, so shout out to your, have your sister see it, your grandma see it, your mom, your friend, your aunt, your uncle. I think a lot of people can gain value from, from this episode here. So that does it for today. Check out the wordofcannabis.org. A lot of the podcasts can be found on the website, uh, along with some blog posts and, and other cannabis-related information. Uh, Check us out on Relevant, Instagram, social media. Always looking to connect, always looking to discuss more cannabis-related topics. But uh, that does it once again. Uh, we'll see you all back here next time. But until then, enjoy the world of cannabis.